This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. How does that feel? We we're back, Sandy. This is a uh, you've you've been doing this for a long time in town. And I'm trying to think of how many times the show has been sort of um, reconstituted and reassembled in another location. And I know it hasn't happened very often. Well, the way I look at it, we were just interrupted for six months. There's a good way to put it. And now we resume. Exactly. After a six-month break. You know, I'm 65 years old. I needed the rest. Refreshed, right? See, the problem with retirement or semi-retirement is that you become exhausted very quickly because retirement slash semi-retirement is much more rigorous and demanding physically and psychologically than working is. Than just the routine. Working, we're used to that. Yeah. Except we're 2 to 4 p.m. instead of 9 p.m. to midnight. That's right. I have an opportunity to get with uh, the listeners in the afternoon, which is going to be a tremendous amount of fun. So everyone who is tuning in, thank you. Anyone who wasn't expecting uh, this also, thanks for sticking around. This is obviously very exciting for both of us to be able to get back and do what we love together again and have an opportunity to bring it to you before some of the games are going on as well. And I guess we'll jump right into it. Want to keep in mind that the defending national champions, the DU hockey pioneers, are going to make a run at defending their title. Their head coach, David Carl, will join us on the program in just about an hour. But the Denver Broncos, as free agency starts in, in a matter of you know, hours at this point, they start their... Uh, quote-unquote legal tampering period, which makes me insane because if it was tampering, it is inherently not legal. And if it were legal, it wouldn't be tampering. So I hate all that. I'm just and saying, all yeah. the news gets made in the next 48 hours. Right, before Peter anybody signs Garoppolo anything. signing with the Raiders, all kinds of moves made today around the NFL. And we know what the Broncos have done right. today before it becomes official. But I don't remember any time in recent memory, maybe ever, during this legal tampering period, period. (laughs) in which a report has been proven false by Wednesday. I really I really can't if it's happened it's been infrequent only because a physical gets failed or something very right. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean they haven't put these guys necessarily through physicals yet. God forbid that Powers and McGlitchy don't pass a physical. Yeah, let's see. Now, you're, they both played all 17 right. games last year, and, as I recall. Uh, you're, you're offering them a lot of money. Mike McGlinchey coming over the two big moves. Mike McGlinchey coming over from the 49ers. If you were following me on uh, Twitter, Instagram in the last couple months, you knew that was in the offing anyway. I told you for months that that was the Broncos' primary target. Mike McGlinchey gets a five-year deal worth $87.5 million, including $50 million in guaranteed money, according to the NFL Network, who had the report first. And then Ben Powers comes over from the Ravens. Powers former fourth rounder that really upped his game. The pro football focus numbers absolutely loved him in pass blocking. Very, very few uh, pressures allowed over the course of the year. Maximum 52 million, 28 and a half guaranteed, uh, according to the athletic who had that first. McGlinchey, the number ninth pick overall back in 2018. Powers, the fourth rounder. Doesn't matter where you get them. They will be replacing one Dalton Reisner. Powers will. And McGlinchey will be hopefully the doorstop in the revolving carousel of players that have been right tackle for the Denver Broncos over the last decade. I sort of wish that McGlinchey were a better pass blocker in as much as he's a tackle. And it's nice that Powers didn't allow any sacks last year, but he's a guard. Now, 
I think Powers at what, 26 years of age? Powers is 26, McGlinch, she's 28. A breakout year that made him unaffordable for the Baltimore Ravens to re-sign is actually underrated. And I think Dalton Reisner, the man he replaces, is glossily overrated. And Reisner talked throughout last fall about wanting to come back with the Broncos. Uh, I don't think the Broncos ever had any intention of bringing back Dalton Reisner in 2023. And at the tackle spot, McGlinchey is replacing, I suppose, a warm body of sorts in Billy Turner, but a warm body often injured. Juwan James, same case. Coming in in 2019 for four years and $32 million guaranteed, which, of course, was absurd. Uh, The overall deal was $50 million. He didn't even make it to year three. Right, and, and he sat out there year except for two. the pandemic. Right, right. Year two, he sat out. Year one, he was hurt. Year three, they got rid of him because he tore his Achilles tendon, so he was basically useless. And uh, right tackle has been a black hole for the Broncos for the past decade. Orlando Franklin was the last Regular certainly there. adequate, yeah. and oftentimes much more than adequate right tackle in 2013. And they moved him to left guard in 2014, and then they moved him out of Denver effectively as he was a free agent following the 2014 season. Yeah, so Tyler it's been Columbus, a long time uh, since they had a functional right tackle, and I think yes. McGlinchey, if overrated, is still functional. My question to you, and I know they need a right tackle, so we've established that. You give McGlinchey the deal that Draymond Jones basically wants and will get from someone. That sounds about right. The right? numbers sound about right. All yeah, right. Five years, 87. So million. you're sure. okay with bringing McGlinchey in and losing Draymond Jones? Yes. Yes. Because the most expensive asset on your team is Russell Wilson. The single most irreplaceable asset on your team, despite the fact he had a subpar as being kind season last year, is Russell Wilson. And you have to find a way to protect Wilson or this team isn't going anywhere. And uh, that's why I make that move. But I think you brought up something, Sandy, in there that, that isn't maybe being discussed. That McGlinchey is considered, and rightly so, more of a a very good run-blocking tackle. A, a power tackle in the traditional sense of sure. the term. You think of a guy coming out of Notre Dame, that Notre Dame power tackle on the right side. That's Actually, he was a left tackle. He left tackle there. You're right. At Notre Dame, he was. And he plays that kind of power tackle role. Not a strong pass blocker. Ben Powers graded well in pass blocking, but you pointed out he's a guard. Most people around the league, when you ask no, about he's ben fine Powers, as a run blocker too. But they'll say he's a pretty good run blocker. Well, no, Sean, and, and Sean Payton's I, I, best way of handling I stipulate safe, he's better than uh, Powers is better than Roger. Yes, I agree uh, at, at, at both. Quite frankly, I think, and I think what we're seeing here is already the first change in Sean Payton's style of offense because Sean Payton's style of offense, obviously, when you look at the way he built his teams in New Orleans. He went after offensive line to a level in which the Denver Broncos have probably never gone into offensive line as deeply in their entire franchise history. That's his thing. And for all the reputation he gets about how he works with quarterbacks, how he worked with Drew Brees, it's because in part he invests in that line. And more than that, in the run game, Peyton is one of those coaches that believes the best way to protect your quarterback is to minimize the number of blitz attempts. And minimizing the number of blitz attempts means committing to the run. The Broncos offense, if Russell Wilson thought it was going to be let Russ cook again, 
He's going to be in for a surprise because that's not what Sean Payton calls. And he does that for the safety of his own quarterbacks. And I think these two moves right out the gate show you that the running game is going to be a far more significant commitment for the Denver Broncos offense than it has been. But that's contention on their having the lead, right? Right. Or at Running least the ball close enough more to it. is easy enough when you're leading in ballgames, something that the Broncos did not do often last year. And as far as the Wilson vis-a-vis offensive line, who takes more of the blame? For Wilson's bad season, is it 60-40 in favor of the offensive line letting Wilson down, or is it 60-40 in favor of Wilson being ill-suited for any offensive line? I will give you the following basic numbers. Wilson was sacked on 10.2% of his passing attempts. The second highest rate in his entire career. Second highest Mm -hmm. in his career. He was pressured. 36.1% of the time, the second lowest percentage during the course of his career. My position continues to be that at least 60% of the problem with Wilson last year was Wilson. 40% of the problem was the offensive line, although the offensive line certainly is far below average or at least was far below average by NFL standards in 2022. Yeah, and there there are different ways to look at that statistic, and I get the idea of the pressured look. I, it felt like Wilson was pressured a little more than once every third time. I mean, he was running for his life a lot of times. And there are differences in pressure. There, but he wasn't running for his right. life. He was pressuring for his life because he had different people telling him to run, not to run. Coaches, advisors. Agents, private quarterback coach, and Wilson's all instructing habits. him differently, differently so that you found late in the year, especially Russell Wilson, not running for his life at all, but running around in circles because he couldn't make up his mind whether to run or not. And the one time he did run, it's he got thing. concussed yeah. or in the one game where he ran actually fairly well and the play got concussed. I think he picked up 19 yards on the play and of course got hit and got concussed but Wilson has got to accept the fact that although he's playing for Drew Brees old coach Mm -hmm. he is not Drew Brees and Russell Wilson truly believes as we speak on this 13th day of March 2023 that he is Drew Brees late in his career that he is Peyton Manning late in his career that he is Tom Brady late in his career. He actually believes that. And that is the major challenge for Sean Payton now that he has properly disempowered Russell Wilson by taking his office and his entourage away from him, at least on the second floor of the facility out of Dub Valley. How much of that do you think is going to impact Wilson? Because I will say this. Wilson had that no trade list Four years. And one of the teams that was not on it when Sean Payton was the head coach was the New Orleans Saints. 
So at least on some level, for many years, Wilson has been very comfortable with the idea of being coached by Sean Payton so much that he left that team off the list that he could be traded to. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, that's why I wonder how much of it is different. The offenses are run differently. Uh, A lot of Drew Brees' success came across uh, the middle of the field, something that Wilson historically does not do. Wilson's game, the biggest flaw, and you and I talked about this all last summer when I felt at times we were the only two canaries in the coal mine Warning people that, hey, hold, hold on, this is not a Super Bowl team. They're, most of the team is held over from the year prior. But Wilson still has the same issue. Wilson's instinct is to go for the deep kill shot down the field. And he's, over the course of his career, been able to be maneuverable enough, ability to step up and, and avoid pressure to wait for a Tyler Lockett, a DK Metcalf, uh, a Golden Tate over the, like whoever you have, to be able to get that deep sideline route open. And hit it. But it's way too much. Those are the kind of things you look at as the occasional, right? If I were to compare him to, say, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers goes for those same plays, but he does it as an occasional. He sprinkles those in. For Russell Wilson, that's the bread and butter of how he throws. You go look at the the, the heat map, the way he's thrown over the course of his career. He goes for deep sideline routes. It is not part. It's not part of it. That's his primary objective, and it gets him in trouble. But he that's gets him the sacked. problem. He can't throw that ball, even if he could escape as he once did, which he can't. We know that. He can't throw that ball anymore. His accuracy went way and down. And my position continues to be that Russell Wilson is at best, at best, an average NFL quarterback Ooh. at this stage of his career. At best i don't see him bouncing back appreciably this year peyton will help him um i said earlier be careful what you wish for if you're russell wilson because again wilson is under the illusion that all his problems and his deepest desires can be solved and or fulfilled by sean peyton sean peyton was reportedly the coach Wilson wanted a year ago at this time, or a little more than a year ago, it would have been about 13 months ago, when he tried to get Pete Carroll and John Schneider fired as coach and general manager of the Seattle Seahawks. Peyton was the coach he wanted, but he wanted Peyton because he and Drew Brees are friends, and to Russell Wilson, that means he can play the same way Drew Brees did from mid 30s on forward. And we saw last year that he can't play that way. Russell Wilson averaged 30 pass attempts per game during 10 years as quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. That's about the ideal number, even though Russell Wilson still believes he can throw 35 to 40 times a game. He can't. If he wants to be effective anyway. Sean Payton's history is that that's not what he wants to do anyway. They want a balanced offense. And, and we start seeing this more and more. I think it's interesting. And, and uh, by the way, in just, you know, uh, last couple of minutes before the show began, by the way, our, tra- our friend Troy Rank uh, reports that the Broncos are going to add Jared Stidham, backup quarterback, replacing. Yes, heard uh, that earlier. Yeah, a little Two earlier years today and for what, 10 Brett million. Rippin. So uh, not that that matters, obviously, very Stid. much. Yes, th- this is why. The former again, New England Patriot. Mm-hmm, another. Backup. 
backup. So you, you bring in a, a competent backup that's going to have Who was a starter for the Raiders who placed Eric Carr late last Yes. And Carr now replaced by Jimmy Garoppolo, who is Correct. signed today. And Carr now back with Gary, not Gary Payton, pardon me, Sean Payton's old team, uh, the Saints. So yes. you know, it's a, time is a flat circle, apparently, in the NFL when it comes to quarterbacking. But do you have to, to look at this situation for offensively, I think it's intriguing because with Javante Williams' injury, that injury, Sandy, is going to keep him out. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, folks, but barring something changing, I have not heard anything from inside that building that tells me that he will be ready for, at minimum, the first eight to ten games, and that's at best. And I still think there's a possibility the Broncos at that point decide to table the season. Those who believe that Javante Williams will play appreciable amounts of time during the first half of the season are the same people who thought a year ago that Jamal Murray was coming back any day now and believe, or at least have believed throughout most of this year, that Gabe Landeskog's return to the Avalanche is just around the corner. Right. Same people um, who don't know what they're talking about, and they don't know what they're talking about because they don't talk to people, as we do. And we're not, the, we're not we're not doctors, the right people. No, definitely you not. Talk to the right people, and they will tell you that Javante Williams will need, as Jamal Murray did, more than a full year. And for to slightly come back. different reasons. In Jamal Murray's case, the the some of the uh, the challenge was mental with that getting your game back, and that's normal. The sport itself is, is different. In Javante Williams' case, remember, you think. You know, people will look at it, and I've heard that. I've heard people talk to me and say, but Sean, okay, he tore his ACL. Nowadays, that well, still a, a very serious injury. Second, he tore more than his ACL. He basically got all but everything in there. And as a result, it's going to take a longer time for those things to heal. The Broncos understand the kind of player they have in Javante Williams, and they're not going to rush him back. They're not in any hurry. They know they potentially have a special back. They're not going to mess with any of that. So, no. That, that that in my mind makes sense. You know, you're going to look at, I think, a combination of Latavius Murray. They moved on from Chase Edmonds, one of the players they released, along with Graham Glasgow and Ronald Darby, to free up $33 million under the cap. I think those are all good moves. Well, they're seventh now in cap space yeah. the last time I looked. Inside the top 10, which is nice, and it has enabled them to pay perhaps even more than market value for McGlinchey, and I don't know more than market value. Honestly, I think Powers got Powers. probably what I he think got. Powers got what he deserved to get. Uh, McGlinchey being a right tackle. And on it doesn't a, on matter if you're a right tackle or a left tackle. One of the league's best teams on, who doesn't miss games. Uh, right. He He's played on a good team. Now, is he looked upon by the 49ers as a premier player? worthy of the kind of contract he got here? Of course not. And I think the 49ers looked at McGlinchey the same way the Broncos seem to be looking at Draymond Jones. Good player will survive without him. Except that the 49ers are a championship contending team and the Broncos are not at this point. And in the coming days and weeks, we'll get into some of the reasons as to why this year, we have to be even more cautious than the two of us were last year. I mean, we both had the Broncos winning more than they lost. We did. So we were wrong, maybe not to the same extent as most others, but we were wrong too. Yeah. We overrated the Broncos a year ago. We overrated Hackett. We overrated Wilson. We overrated, I'm sorry, the defense. Mm hmm which only benefited by comparison 
with the worst offense in the NFL. Yes, the defense was good compared to the worst offense and one of the three or four worst special teams. Best move on the defense all year was George Payton moving Bradley Chubb for additional first-round pick that allowed them to get Sean Payton. And now it all restarts for the Denver Broncos as free agency hits. We are glad to be back. You can interact with the show. 303-831-1340 is the number for both callers and texters. Looking forward to hearing from you as we will also take a look at the Denver Nuggets, who, by the way, three games in a row, matching their season-worst streak. Yes. Two of the last losses at home. The percentage of that on the season, we'll tell you about it next. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back to Sandy and Sean at Mile High Sports. That was it. That sounded kind of natural already. Look at that. One segment in. Well, it's very simple. Very simple. I'm not accusing you of only being able to comprehend the simple. Oh, that's on our first show. That's very nice. Thank you. It's it's easy for you. Uh, Our text line is is the same number. Yep. Same. 303-831-1340, 303-831-1340, text or call. We'll have an opportunity to uh, to check on that in a little bit as well, as well as talk with David Carl, the head coach of the Look forward to that. hockey team. Absolutely. The only coach in the history of DU hockey, and a glorious history it is, mm-hmm. to win 30 games in back-to-back years. One number 30 over the weekend. They are really... Uh, and they are special. They, it, they, is, it is. This is... Uh, now they've had... Eight thirty win teams. If they were in their history, back to back, this is Whew. definitely one of the top ten teams in the history of the program. And of course, things began in nineteen forty nine on a more limited basis. But from forty nine to twenty three to be one of the top ten teams in the history of the school, they are terrific. Especially when your schools won. And you got a whole bucket full. One of, of the youngest coaches, collegiately, right, or professionally, in the country, in David Carl. Going for his second consecutive national title. That is just remarkable. We'll make sure we talk to him at the top of the hour, but we turn our attention to the Denver Nuggets, who have now lost three consecutive games. Now, it's it's important. I actually wrote about this over at last night. It's important to look at both the big picture and the small picture with a slightly different lens. You know, you look at three losses in a row. Uh, the, the sky is not falling. The Nuggets have a five-game lead in the Western Conference with 14 to play. The team's trailing them, uh, Memphis and Sacramento. Memphis has a lot of talent, but they're a bit of a mess right now. The John Morant situation kind of put yep. them on tilt. The Sacramento Kings are good. They are not five games better than the Nuggets in 14 of tries good. Although uh, I will submit, that in 2023, the Sacramento Kings have been a better basketball team than the Denver Nuggets. We'll get into those granular okay. details and make that case more thoroughly tomorrow. But uh, Sacramento, to me, is a dangerous team. Now, the Nuggets dangerous. won't have to face Sacramento, 
I think right Sacramento's going to finish even with in the, the two second seed. round. I, I think they're going to finish agree. with the two. I agree with so you. They wouldn't have to meet him until it was the Western Conference Finals. And uh, I, I think the top four in the West are basically locked in. Uh, Sacramento and Memphis are pretty close in fighting for second. Um, with or without Durant, Phoenix is going to be fourth and Denver is going to be first. Right? Yes, I agree. With so, that. And it is likely to be without, by the way, with Durant when you're talking about the Suns. And that's going to make things interesting. Well, he's probably going to have to come back and get two right. Two to three weeks, though. Two to three weeks. And the thing we'll with Durant, I know, and again, this is an argument, but Durant, to me, is one of those talents who can drop in and excel immediately and blend in that's a good point. with his teammates. Most guys can't. I can think of two great examples of players who have been hurt and or traded, and Durant's been both this year, right, who can adapt to any circumstances once they are healthy. There's no runway they need to move up in order to get themselves integrated properly with whichever team they're on. Yeah. The other would be Peter Forsberg, yeah. who in 2001-2002 sat out the entire regular season, came back for the playoffs, and he did it once earlier, and he was just about the best player in the playoffs both times. It was uncanny. Now, he hadn't been traded, but he had been hurt for all or most of the year on two separate occasions and, and came back both times. There are some similarities the between there that, are too. So, well, yeah. In certain cases. Chronically injured players. Well, but I mean, you can also have guys that have a phenomenal amount of talent, so so wide-ranging and so diversely talented yes. that you can drop these guys into a game and they can still make an impact in the game immediately. It, or It's remarkable. You can also just give them the ball or the, or the puck and get out of their way. You remember when Peter came back here late in the 07 08 season? He was tremendous down the stretch. And the Avalanche got into the playoffs. They won their first round series. They're going up against Detroit in the second round. And I remember our old friend Brian Engblom, right? who was a commentator, national mm-hmm. commentator, prior to game one of the series between the Avalanche and the Red Wings, a renewal of the old rivalry after a six year hiatus picking the Avalanche to beat the Red Wings and continue on in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That morning at the skate, Peter Forsberg goes down. Again, a foot-related injury that kept him out for that series, and the Avalanche were swiftly swept by the Red Wings. And I don't think but, the Suns will be swept. But... but the Suns will have Durant for the playoffs. It's, it's, it, it seems it's not like that's a four to case. six week injury. Right. They say it's two to three weeks. Did you see how he got hurt too? He, he He's not even in the pregame warmups. He's yeah. individually working out before his first game in Phoenix as a member of the Suns. And he spot? slips on a wet spot, goes down, gets up, completes his warmup, and then goes back to the locker room and is pronounced yeah. out for the game on you. and you're thinking if it's a foot or even a high ankle sprain that could be four to six weeks apparently apparently it was a low ankle sprain and that cuts the timeout in half two to three weeks rather than four to six he will be back i suspect the next time the nuggets play phoenix 
in a few weeks. That is one of the uh, the interesting matchups that are left, of course, on the board. You know, there are a couple teams, that, and you talk about teams that could get dangerous if they're healthy. Obviously, the Golden State Warriors are lurking there, only 35 uh, and 33 at the moment. But with Steph Curry being able to maybe get back, that changes things. We know how talented they are. But it, it does feel for the Nuggets in the last three losses, two of which at home. The Nuggets have lost a third of their season losses at home in the last two games. Well, a third. You're exactly They're 30 right. and six. 30 and six. Now, or 30 and four. my concern isn't that they And it lost. should have been three losses in a row at home. They got very lucky against Toronto. Yes. Fred Van Vliet will tell you oh. that they got messed with by the officials here in Denver as much as they did in their next Fred game more, uh, when Fred had quite a bit metaphors. Uh, yeah, the, and a about the good efficient. honesty. You can look it up yourself, I'm sure, you over the internet. And, uh, <laughs> but he said we got messed with in Denver, too, and they, they were up by did. six with three now, and a half minutes to go. And Fred Van Vliet also dribbled the ball off his own foot, and he then did. did it on the baseline he, he later did. in the game. So he there's that. I, I don't buy his argument here, and I can't speak since I didn't see the game to the game he was talking about. But I, I, my point being that the Nuggets are very close to having a three-game home losing streak and a four game losing streak overall, which would be a first for this season. They lost three in a row way, way back uh, earlier in the season, December 2nd through the 5th. They lost in Atlanta. They lost in New Orleans. They came back home and lost to Dallas. That's the only time they had lost even three games in a row previously this year. So, that I'm not saying this is a crisis. It isn't. But, but, they are clearly struggling. They have not played very well for the better part of the last 10 days, even though they won some games during that stretch. And I think you've got some issues in the locker room, especially now that Murray's left knee the bad knee that was surgically repaired. That's what kept him out of the sore. Fourth it quarter was last the night. right knee before mm-hmm. a few weeks back, but now it's the bad knee that's sore. And I'd be a little bit concerned about that. And again, although I think he's done by and large, a pretty good coaching job this year, Michael Malone has mismanaged his bench without question. And because he has mismanaged his bench, Jokic and especially Murray have played far more. Jokic lately, Jokic played Murray throughout the year, they're playing far more than they should be playing. Here's and they concerns. look like tired basketball players, especially against Chicago last week. My concerns, Sandy, are twofold. And one of them isn't necessarily... The talent level or the ability level, as you said, even when they've played poorly, they still win games. This is a very good team. The Denver Nuggets, by the way, have never, ever, as an NBA franchise, finished first at the, at the top of the Western Conference standings. Never done. Ever. Never done. And this team is good enough that they're sort of putting out on cruise control. They, and that's they're my still worry. going to win 55 to That's 60 my games. concern. Is Well, that not, not, they won't win 60. They'd have to win out to win 60. Right. But you get the idea. They're, they're, they're going to win a lot of games. They're going to be, they're going to win the top seed. The era, the, pardon me, the aura of invincibility that is at home for the Nuggets is part of what gives them an opportunity to make it to their first NBA finals. And, and by being obviously in the last, I would say, quite frankly, half dozen games, for the most part, with the exception of the Memphis game in which they wanted a measure of revenge. 
this team has looked completely disinterested and looked like they're playing out the string. Or fatigued. Or fatigued. And, and part of the problem is it's hard to tell what percentage is what. Now, if it's disinterested because you're playing out the string, this is where it's difficult for Michael Malone. Motivating the guys because, hey, look, these are still important games. We want to cement this. We want the home court. That's a different coaching requirement than understanding my team is tired. Last night was an example. Could they have somehow stolen that game despite Murray being the four, not playing in the fourth quarter, despite Michael Porter Jr. not playing in the fourth quarter? We'll get into that. Was that was DNPCD. And Michael, and pardon me, Nikola Jokic going off on a 35-20-11 triple-double again and, but and somehow almost stealing a win. Barely tired at the end. But you wonder at what point in time, like if that's the case, if, if Murray's out, if you're unhappy with some of the defense with Porter, Porter, by the way, has an injury history of his own that we're well aware of that, you know, minutes off don't hurt him either. Sure. And your back-to-back MVP carries the heavy single load every night. At a certain point, you have to be able to look at it and say, okay, you know what? This one's not in the cards. Empty the bench and give your guys a break before a five-game road trip that they're going to have to embark on starting tomorrow. And those, I, I, I want to give Michael Malone credit. I do, because very rarely have I seen a coach this far into his head coaching career who has actually taken a leap forward in his coaching skill on game day basis. And I think Michael Malone has. He's not Greg Popovich, don't get me wrong. But I think he's done a better job with his rotations. I think he's done a better job going away from those hockey-style line changes he's accustomed to making. I think he's done better with it. But now you have to figure out how do not, you manage the It's not good enough. Still not good enough. And, and that, will, that will get exposed for the end of the They have a championship-level team. They have a championship-caliber team. The major question mark, to me, continues to be the coach, whose record in the playoffs is 6-14 and 14 in the last 20 games he's coached in. So this business that the Nuggets are going to sail through the first round or first two rounds of the playoffs is utter nonsense. Now, the advantage they have, I believe is that teams 5 through 13 in the Western Conference, talking about nine teams, they're separated by all four and a half games right now. Right. Nobody can shift into it. So most of those teams are teams against whom the Nuggets would match up quite well. If the playoffs were to start today, and I know that I'm discounting the possible upsets in the play-in tournament, but... If it's one eight two seven three six four five, it would be Denver against Dallas. I not only like that matchup for the Nuggets, I love that matchup for the Nuggets. I love that matchup. Dallas plays no defense. Utah plays no defense. If that were the matchup in the first round, I'd love it. Oklahoma City would be a little more dangerous than either Utah or Dallas. So would Minnesota. Because Minnesota is 10th in defensive efficiency, uh, and Oklahoma City is 11th. Both better than the Nuggets, who are 15th, middle of the pack defensive team. Sandy, Oklahoma City right now is two spots out of the playoffs. They're 12th in the West, but they are... No, they're 10th. Well, well, you're right. They're they're tied with the Jazz and the Pelicans. Well, yeah, yeah, but on on tiebreakers, 
they they would make it ahead of the Lakers and the Pelicans. But now they're have, all thirty three and thirty five. Listen, that's my point. But that that's there 12. isn't much difference. Phoenix is fourth. They're only four and a half games separating all uh, of those. That's teams. right, and that's, that's good news I'm because saying. they all have to put the pedal to the metal right. the rest of the way out, right. where the Nuggets don't necessarily exactly. have to do and, that. And and most of them, the the Clippers rank about where Denver does defensively. Golden State's a little worse than Denver. Minnesota's better, as we said. Dallas is a lot worse. Utah a lot worse. Oklahoma City a little bit better. Uh, you get, I don't even think about the Lakers until LeBron comes back, right. if that happens. And I don't think about New Orleans unless Zion comes back. And we don't know when that's going to be either. Zion Williamson is that'd be a is a scary is matchup out for three months with a strained hamstring muscle. Right. I mean, I just don't. He's a great player when he plays. But I I think New Orleans and the Lakers both could be dangerous. Uh, just about anybody else. Listen, the Nuggets are 4-0 against the Clippers this year. If the Clippers slipped to eighth, I, I don't think the Nuggets would have uh, difficulty with the Clippers in a best of uh, seven series. And in, in Golden State, they've... They're two for two against Golden State. Golden State doesn't win on the road, as we all know. So most of the matchups among those nine teams I'd be comfortable with, but there are two or three that could be a little tricky. And Portland's not out of it. Now, the Nuggets are 3-0. and I'm sorry, 3-1 and this year against Portland. And they basically have Portland's number. But Portland doesn't play much defense. No, we all know that. So most of the matchups are good. But again, even if the Nuggets win in the first round, do they want to play six games or seven games? Mm -hmm. I don't think so, because that adds to the fatigue level. So again, the Nuggets, either in the first round or in the second, are going to be tested. And again, this is a team with its star players that's lost 14 of its last 20 playoff games. So th- there is some concern. It is not a crisis. Um, but I am going to do something here that I never thought I'd do, and then we'll move on. And that's say, Michael Porter Jr., I thought, had a point yesterday. Michael Porter Jr. had some things to say after the game because uh, things got out of hand a little bit for Porter Jr. Had 23 on a really efficient shooting night. Want to know what you think about the Nuggets, too? Where's your panic level? 303-831-1340 is the way to get a hold of us. He's Sandy. I'm Sean. We'll be back with more Nuggets talk on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back. Talking about the Denver Nuggets here over on Mile High Sports. Nice to be back, by the way. Thanks for all the well wishes, both uh, social media on both of our phones, which have been lighting up, and, and over on the text line here, call or text 303-831-1340. And Danny Bailey... Are producing the booth, a good opportunity the to shout great out Danny both Bailey. Danny Bailey and Andrew Depp are back there handling the video stream, by the way. And if uh, you haven't gone to MileySports.com, you can actually uh, watch the copious amount of newspapers that Sandy still brings in. Well, no, no, I, this, is, this is not copious. 
Actually, I've worked with you long enough to know that is not. That is a minimal amount of newspapers for you. Actually. I mean, I got my brackets here. Oh, well, yeah, I, got, I haven't gotten to brackets yet. We haven't touched on brackets. We'll have to do that, too. But, Danny, you we'll said do that. we got we'll the, uh, a text about the, the Nuggets. We did. We did. Longtime fan of your show. And then goes on to say, Malone is not the coach to get the Nuggets a championship. The mismanagement of Porter has been awful. Uh, and then he goes on to say, Porter's Porter will never be out of Malone's doghouse, but he's arguably been the second best player after the All-Star break. Malone's roster management is killing this team. Thank you for the text, Roger. Uh, thanks a lot for those texts. I'm, I I'm, basically I'm say, agree with Roger. I can't say they're killing the team. I mean, they're no, the top no, of the no, West. no. I, I, I basically agree with him. Yeah, I think you could make a good point that Porter Jr. has been the second best player since the All Star break on the Nuggets. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, possibly. He's been, he's been more I mean, consistent in scoring. Uh, Murray's injuries have had something to do with that. Uh, Gordon was out too uh, with right. an injury. My sense is that overall this year. Jokic has been better than he's been the previous two years. Agreed. So if you named him MVP twice, he's had a better year this year than he had either he's last not, year or the year before. He's not going to get it. But th- that's. The- I think they have to have the best record in the league, which they don't have right now. Yeah. Um, Giannis has missed some games. Uh, Tatum's very good for Boston, but they've been a little sketchy at times over the last month, six weeks. And Jalen Brown's played a big part I, I in that, too. I do think he's, he's got a shot. I think he's got a shot. Embiid is a sneaky contender mm-hmm. now that Philadelphia is hot. And Philadelphia is probably about the hottest team in the NBA over the last But let's look at this. Two, three weeks. But, but to Malone's his point. situation. So the last, last night, in that loss. Now, Michael Porter Jr. only played 23 minutes. Played 20 right. seconds in the fourth quarter. In which right. game which Michael Malone clearly decided they were still going to try to win without Jamal Murray because... Nicole Jokic played 39 minutes. Well, Porter it, it, Jr. But Murray was hurt. Right. Not Murray was well, hurt. But I'm saying, but they still Porter decided to go for the win. And so he's still trying to go win the game. Well, and and yeah. Porter Jr. had 23 points on 9 of 12 shooting to go along, by the way, with four assists and three boards, plus six. Yeah, right. Plus six. In a game, they were losing by 11 points after three quarters. Now, I know they gave up 38. They had a terrible third quarter. Only one of the on starters was a minus, the- and that was Jamal Murray, who was minus 13 right, in his three quarters. Right, right. But it wasn't now, Porter. Now he's out. He's out because he's hurt. hurt. But Porter's not hurt. And not to have him in at any point in the fourth quarter. Listen, Christian Brown doesn't get in there if Murray's not injured and unable to play. He doesn't play at all yesterday. And Christian Brown, in my opinion, now that Bones Highland, is gone. Christian Brown should be playing 15 to 20 minutes a game. He has averaged 14 minutes this year. There have been at least half a dozen games in which he has been a DNP CD. Right. Did not play coach's decision. That when he has played, he's averaging about 14 minutes a game, little more than that, almost 14 and a half. Yesterday, he played all 12 minutes in the fourth quarter. Plus nine, and that's been. And he was their second best player in the fourth quarter. Their second best player in the fourth quarter was Christian Brown. And he's not a part of the rotation ordinarily. Jeff Green gets minutes until recently, Thomas Bryant, who to me has been a major disappointment. I and I like the deal. I like I'd the like deal. bringing I, Bryant in. I still think there's time for that to work out. Bryant doesn't defend, and he's been a mistake player. Uh, on offense, an inadequate substitute for Nikola Jokic. 
who is still, as you've seen, playing major minutes when Bryant was supposed to come in 25 years old, 6'10", uh, averaged 12 points, seven in rebounds, 20 plus 22 minutes, minutes a game, was starting when Davis was hurt, which was happening a lot this year with the yeah. Lakers. And he comes here, and I know his minutes are way down. He just has not adjusted. Maybe he will. That's a, maybe that's a good won't. way to put it. He okay. hasn't adjusted to the fewer minutes. Uh, Reggie Jackson, to me, has been a minor disappointment. Not a major disappointment. Minor disappointment. I would rather have, coming off the bench, now that he's healthy, Chanchar, Najee if he's healthy, Christian Brown. And all should be playing. You're, you're seeing something in Najee that I'm not seeing. But well, I, I know but I he's hurt. But I don't, that's I, what I'm seeing. I'll I'll see Najee, he's hurt. He's got a bad shoulder. he's healthy. But, well, I, but I agree okay. with you completely on Brown. Because Brown, Brown does not. He has. He brings what you want of a lot of guys off the bench. He doesn't need the ball to be impactful. The the on ball defense is good. He's opportunistic when he's scoring. It'd be nice if he could make a layup or two. But he's a rookie. I'll live with it. But the he shoots over fifty percent. That's all I care yep. about. He's an efficient player. His assist turnover ratio is one point seven to one. Mm-hmm. All right, that's very good for a he, rookie. That's terrific for a rookie. He is one of their better defensive players. Mm-hmm. I would say one of their three best defensive players. He had a block shot on our old friend Spencer Dinwiddie yesterday. Kansas on, versus I mean, CU. On ball, Gordon and Caldwell Pope, only two better. On ball? I think, I think I, he's I think as I'd good as Caldwell argument. Pope, and I love Caldwell Pope. I think he's as good defensively, not as good offensively, but as good defensively as Caldwell Pope. Um, Gordon's their best defensive player, uh, hands down. But Brown can guard any one of four positions. Yes, and that's immensely and valuable. And Malone, who is supposed to be a defensive guru, won't play him, but praises him on the few occasions that he gets double-figure minutes and talks about his professionalism, how he's ready, how he's energized, but won't play him normally as part of his rotation. A gross error. I believe, throughout the season by Malone. Up until the last couple of weeks, it probably hasn't mattered that much. And Malone's argument might be that Brown is still a rookie, and when I use him, he's been effective. He's been effective because of the way I'm using him. But it's a good thing that Christian Brown, unlike Bones Highland, doesn't complain because he'd have a justifiable complaint about his minutes. He's a total pro. He was that way at Kansas. He wasn't highly recruited. He was constantly challenged by his coach, Bill Self, who for his first two years at Kansas didn't play necessarily all that much, but was one of the two or three best players on a national championship team last year. Uh, From what I hear, and it's from people who are, as they say, familiar with Michael Malone's thinking. Michael Malone was not thrilled that Calvin Booth drafted Christian Brown. Not thrilled. But even though he hasn't played Brown, Malone has praised him. And it's a way also of cutting Murray's minutes down. My minute restriction from the start of the year on Murray would have been at the beginning of the year, 25 minutes 
and maybe the second half of the year, 30 minutes. Post All-Star break, he's up to 33.6. Do you realize he's playing 33 minutes a game and playing almost 34? Post All-Star. Post All-Star. And Michael Porter Jr., 26.6. In yes. that span of time, his playing time has gone down. Averaging 18.3 points right. per game in those 26 minutes. Higher he's been than remarkably a efficient. Average. And Higher. I think in this case, Porter has a beef. I agree. I agree. And I, I I never agree with Michael Porter on anything he says. But in this case, he had a beef. And listen, he didn't issue a broadside against Malone exactly. He just said, you know, basically it's tough to score from the bench. And I thought I was having a pretty efficient offensive He's game. He's actually having an extraordinarily efficient offensive right. game. You're shooting 75% and, from the field. You know, for those waiting for him to play defense... That's not going to happen. But he was a plus player yesterday in a game that was decided by two points. And when they were down and, and 11 he, he gets, in the fourth as our, quarter. As our texter pointed out, as Roger on the text line pointed six. out, he's in Malone's doghouse sort of permanently. The, the defensive issue, that's why people invented the plus but, but minus suddenly, statistic, which is not, ex- I understand, perfect. But clearly it wasn't like the entire defensive Failure happened on his shoulders, no, but, issue but he gets punished for up it. Up until the All-Star break, he was playing 29, 30 minutes a game, and it's been cut since the All-Star break. I think he's consistently played better. Do you have any theories better? as to why? His defense wasn't great before the All-Star no break, worse. and it hasn't been great since the All-Star break. It, it It's not great because he isn't a good defensive player, but he has become a more versatile offensive player. He's not really a passer, but he's doing some of what Gordon has done in cutting to the hoop. He's also running on the break, something for reasons still unclear to me that the Nuggets don't do very much. They're 19th in a 30-team league in pace, and that's going to hurt them in the playoffs too. It will be an interesting run in these last uh, 14 games that ever Nuggets Next five on the road. After that, they never go further east than Houston to finish off the schedule. While Sanity pointed out the rest of the Western Conference has to fight it out for all the different spots. We will turn our attention to hockey. Not only the Avalanche, but the University of Denver going for the second consecutive national championship. Their head coach, David Carl, will join us next on Mile High Sports. By you, I want to make- 